Welcome to another edition of the TDN Writers Room Podcast. My name is Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the TDN. I also co-host the Down the Stretch radio show every Saturday morning on Sirius XM along with Dave Johnson. Hello, everybody. I'm Randy Moss with NBC Sports. As you might guess, with the Breeders' Cup fast approaching, I am surrounded by stacks of papers. I know Zoe always loves that, as well as uh, computer files everywhere as uh, Trying to do as, as, as best I can prepare for the experience that uh, my buddy Jerry Bailey calls uh, trying to drink water out of a fire hose. It's very tough to get ready for all these horses. <laughs> Zoe Kaplan here with Santa Anita and First Racing. I've just got a little red book. I mean, that's <laughs> I've got everything in here. This is this is all I'm going to need. It's my Bible. Um, I've got no Taylor Swift information unless you watch <laughs> a football game the other night. I am going to see Paw Patrol today with my godson. So I'm not sure you've seen that, Randy. Have you seen Paw Patrol? Uh, I'll let you know next week. That'll be our important thing to okay. discuss this week. Okay. I was very with Dora the Explorer, but Paw Patrol, <laughs> I'm not that, not that good <laughs> up on. All right. I want to remind you that this week and every week we are brought to you by our good friends at Keeneland. So uh, last week we had a uh, debate, sometimes rather spirited, about whether or not the Horse Racing Integrity and Welfare Unit is a little bit heavy-handed, uh, gone overboard in the case of Carrie Brion. Well, that case now uh, has taken a turn. It looks like she is going to be exonerated. But a new story popped up in the TDN written by T.D. Thornton, which I thought uh, personally was one of the best read, best reported, best written stories uh, that, that I've seen um, in, in a racing publication in a long time. I'm not just saying that because it was in the TDN. Uh, TD did a terrific job. It's about a fellow by the name of John Pimentel, a trainer. Uh, he's 68 years old, was one for 46 this year. And Hai Wu went and got him too, just like they went and got Kerry uh, Brion. He got a positive for methamphetamine. And then he was also uh, found uh, that, that he was in possession of levothyroxine. Uh, and he is looking at three years suspension, $25,000 fine. And just as I would have said about Carrie Brianna, uh, the, my problem with this is, 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 is many. But the biggest problem I have is that the way they're going about this, there doesn't seem to be any room for common sense. It's black. It's white. John Pimentel is not a cheater. He did not give the horse methamphetamine to try to win a race. Uh, the levothyroxine, he said, was something that he was using on a pony. This is not somebody who did anything wrong. This is a guy who's been around forever and has a great reputation. People love him. And now, unless he can get some decent lawyers, which again is another part of the story because these things apparently are so expensive, that the little guy like John Pimentel cannot necessarily afford this. But uh, he's looking at uh, a, a major upheaval in his life and his career of a possible three-year suspension for, in my estimation, a guy who did absolutely nothing wrong. 
This is not right. It needs to be fixed. Uh, Zoe, your turn. Now, if I'm reading it correctly, it said that the A sample came back positive, the B sample came back positive. He's already signed something that he may or may not, maybe he shouldn't have signed it, and he has till October the 26th, I do believe, to have a meeting with the judge, with the FTC, to see if they can get something done about this. I know apparently Alan Foreman is on the case, but the thing that needs to be looked into that I think there needs to be some money set aside for the people that do not have the funds to try and fight this or at least give themselves a fighting chance because that to me is what has happened here. You've got a mom and pop operation that doesn't have the funds, barely had the 7,500, barely had the money for the split sample. Something that needs to be set aside to try and help these people at least defend themselves through sample A, sample B, and give them the knowledge to do things the right way. Because it sounds like it's been a cluster from the get-go, as well as some things have been misreported. Some things have been written down. They called him Mr. Ruiz in one article, I do believe. Something was written. None of it really adds up, makes sense. So if this goes before a judge, maybe they're just going to toss it out and give him a pass. As far as the Kerry Bryan case, they came up with, I think on October the 20th, a new ruling that if your A sample comes up for a human drug, say it's cocaine, methamphetamine, or something a human ha can ingest as an addict, that they're not going to release any names, which is correct, and wait till the B sample comes back. And I think that is partly due to the Kerry Bryan case, which is the right thing to do. So slowly but surely, they're finagling their way around, be it half blindfolded. I'm not really quite sure there's a right answer or a wrong answer right now, but the Kerry Bryan case, good things have come out of that and those all got overturned. And now with that October 20th ruling, it looks like that human contamination is going to be, you know, basically taken in course and we'll go from there. So I don't really know what's going to happen with the Pimentels, but I have a feeling that they're going to fall down on the right side of this. Hope so. I mean, you get an incredible amount of sympathy reading the story for the Pimentels. Uh, you know, it, you pointed out things like cocaine, methamphetamine. I mean, there's no evidence that methamphetamine is a performance enhancing drug in racehorses. And as we know, it's it's unfortunately very commonly used uh, by human drug abusers, some of whom may or may not have been in contact with the horse in the starting gate and the test barn. You never know what might have happened. Uh, it's an unfortunate uh, situation. But, you know, Bill, I'm curious. I mean, you, look, this is a class one drug, right? And they are the very most serious drugs that are tested for. The horse tested positive for a class one drug. The split sample tested positive for a class one drug. We don't think it was purposely given to the horse. But if you were the czar of racing, horse test positive for a class one, what would you do? Just say, oh, you guys look like you're really good people. We're going to drop this. I mean, how would you handle it? Well, OK, here, here's how it handle it. And look, when it gets into pharmacology and what is a class one versus class two, class three, uh, I mean, a lot of that is is above my pay grade. But, Randy, this is what I'm getting back to. My problem with HISA is that not just in this case, but in a lot of cases, I keep coming back to this. They don't use a lot of common sense. 
And then I guess to their credit, a lot of times they've come back and said, oh, you know what? Maybe we didn't have this rule right. We should change it. And they have done that. I think that they should have got these things right before they started and not, you know, changing, uh, changing the rules as they go along. But again, common sense, methamphetamine, cocaine, other things are used by humans and the humans that come in contact with horses. I would I would guess that in virtually a hundred percent of the cases where a horse gets a methamphetamine positive is because someone along the way was a methamphetamine user, handled the horse, and the contaminated the horse. So again, is it a if it is a class one drug, which is the maximum, it it shouldn't be. Um, a matter of fact, I mean, I, I think you, I would go so to the extreme is that you might even now have to look at whether or not this is something that is not even something they should be charged with, period. I guess it would depend on the, the picograms or the nanograms or whatever, because they always talk about what is such a small amount into the horse. But, it, you know, again, here in this country, we have a system where, you know, it's justice is supposed to be fair. And John Pimentel did not do anything wrong. Nobody in their right minds thinks John Pimentel did anything wrong. And now his life has been turned upside down and he's looking at three year suspension from the sport. A man who's 68 years old. And uh, I believe he has seven horses in his care. So if methamphetamine is a class one drug, it shouldn't be treated that way. If, if, and I, sometimes I go back and look at the ARCI rules. I didn't on this one, but a lot of times they're a lot different. Um, the old system. Um, if you had told me that, that he, this horse got the meth positive, uh, he, the guy definitely didn't do anything wrong, but we're going to suspend him for 10 days. I'd be fine with that, but we're not talking about 10 days. We're talking about three years. And I, I don't see how anybody can be fine with that. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe, you know, one of the things that that Hiwu Heisa could do, and, and as we've talked about before, they're sort of learning as they go along with some of these things and trying to correct rules that they feel like need to be corrected. And maybe when it's a, a, a drug of human abuse, it's not necessarily used on horses typically as performance enhancers. Maybe they can treat it a little differently. There was a fascinating case that is similar to this, actually. I live in Minnesota. It was here at Canterbury Park about six, seven, eight years ago. There was a trainer very similar to the Pimentels who had a horse over a horses over a period of three years. He only had a handful of horses in his barn. Twice tested positive for methamphetamine. Uh, Mac Robertson, one of the leading trainers at Canterbury, who recently got involved with the high Sahaiwu controversy, he had a horse tested positive for methamphetamine. Um, subsequently, two members of the Starting Gate crew at Canterbury uh, were busted for methamphetamine possession. Right? It went to the Racing Commission. It went to a judge. But ultimately, it was determined that if it was contamination from starting gate crew members who were handling the horses on a regular basis, then you would see dozens, dozens of methamphetamine positives that would pop up because these these starting gate crew people handled horses all the time. And but there were very, very few meth positives that were actually triggered. Uh, so. The trainer was ruled off. 
And it, no one thought that he was guilty of giving his horses methamphetamine. But under the absolute insurer rule, he was responsible for all of his horses. He, even though he said he tested his crew, uh, drug tested them, he was ultimately found responsible. It's a tough, tough situation to try to navigate. Yeah, in the days of testing in picograms like we are now, one thing that horrifies me, and I'm not throwing blame on any gate crew at any part of the country whatsoever, is when a, a tongue tie comes loose at the gate. And the gate crew puts the tongue tie back on. You you don't know what that one particular guy may or may not have been doing. I mean, they should be wearing gloves as far as I'm concerned, just in case. Be just for that one bad guy that may have been doing something awful that puts the tongue tie on your horse. If we're testing in picograms, there's a possibility. I mean, it's out there. Test positive well, for a Big Mac. I, I want to clear one thing up. I had said that they got 18 months for the, the meth. Uh, they, I said they got three years. Um, Pimentel got three years for the meth. That's not uh, correct. He got 18 months for the meth positive and another 18 months uh, for the thyroxin that was found on the truck. And, and Randy, I agree. Yeah, and we butted heads on this a little bit. Um, uh, but I, I do agree with that th this is a difficult situation. But at the end of the day, this isn't right. And this guy, to, for this guy to be penalized the way he has been, well, then Heisa, figure it out, figure out how to do this and come up with a better system. Um, and then the other thing I said, I think I mentioned this with the Carrie Brion thing, too, that bothers me a little bit about this. And, you know, you see the reports, um, you know, when the TDN writes this and all the people write in the comments, a lot of people say, well, they're just going after the little guy. They want to drive the little guy out of, out of race. And that's that's a bunch of nonsense. Um, but what we're seeing out of uh, Haiwu right now is. A lot of guys that I never heard of, never in a million years, and some of the guys that I have heard of, never in a million years considered them to be cheaters. And then the 10, 12, 15 people in the sport that I'm relatively positive are cheating, I haven't caught any one of them. So, you know, we had hoped that when they came in on May 22nd, this would be a new day in horse racing. Um, you know, we would get the bad guys. We would get the Jorge Navarros and the Jason services of the sport. Okay, they've been at it less than what uh, uh, six months or so. Maybe I should give them more time. But I, all I see them is getting these mom and pop outfits for you know drugs that just really aren't considered by most sensible people to be major performance enhancing elements. So add that all up, and I think they're doing a lousy job. Well, we we can disagree on things, but one thing that I think the three of us all agree on is that we hope that the Pimentels ultimately get justice here and get their jobs back and it becomes as happy an ending as you could possibly have in this circumstance. Yeah, I mean, that that has to be the solution, the end story. And hopefully two weeks from now, we'll be reporting on that and say, John Pimentel is back to work. And at the end of the day, common sense prevailed. But again, uh, I, this is about the fourth or fifth time I've said it. What Heisa needs to do is find a way to incorporate common sense into the rules and the way they go about things and realize that things aren't always black and white. Even though Randy Moss and I don't always agree on things, I think maybe, as I see him smiling, uh, I, that he agrees on that.
The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Keeneland. Saturday is closing day for the Keeneland Fall Meeting, featuring the Fayette Stakes and the Bryan Station Stakes, both full fields. Looks like Cherie DeVoe will have more than looks in there at nine to five, be the one to beat in the Bryan Station Stakes. Every weekend of racing this fall has produced black type updates to the Keeneland November catalog. Check them out at november.keeneland.com. And finally, start your year off right. We're already looking forwards to next year. Start your year off by nominating your horses to the Keeneland January sale. The sale begins on Monday, January 8th. It will be cold. And the entry deadline is Wednesday, November the 1st. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. At Keeneland, a horse will always be measured in hands. Hands that see, that sense, that speak. Hands that hold our sport to a higher standard. Not for our sake, but for theirs. For the love of the horse, for generations to come. In this week's edition of First Things First, I spoke with a couple of Hall of Famers, Richard Mandela Mike Smith, and we spoke about a very special filly. How was the work, Dick? Very nice. Three quarters and 12 and a little change. You galloped out seven furlongs and 125 and change. So we got some wind in her today, and I think we're ready to go. How excited are you leading up to Breeders' Cup with the daughter of Beholder? Because you're trying to stay under the radar, but it's going to be impossible. <laughs> well, I don't know if exciting is the word. It's more stress and feeling of responsibility to get the job done. Does she have any similar traits to her mother? She can run. You had the first winner with Tina Ella from Beholder. What kind of a feeling was it for you to actually get one of her daughters to the winner's circle initially? And she won a little stake race. And she did. It was it was uh, very gratifying. And my mother passed away the day that boy was born. I never spoke about it before, but she's retired now. We can talk about it. Uh, but she was named after my mother. That had to be super special. I can remember seeing you in the winner's circle, and I was wondering why you were so emotional that day. Oh, I <laughs> Well, that's a very cool story. The filly's walking around the barn. Does she have any little quirks we should know about, Richard? No, she's just very sweet, and, and uh, she's a different personality than her mother, other than she will, at, when the time is needed, she rises to the occasion. Beholder had a long history with Songbird. Mike Smith rode Songbird. What went into the decision to put Mike on her in the first place? Experience. And that's all that matters. All right, Mike, take take me through the work. It looked like you gained some company. Was that by design? Was was actually kind of hoping to. Uh, we didn't have nothing to, to work with her here. Uh, so I thought we'd let the first flight go off. And if it worked out, great. And if it didn't, I was just, she's pretty good workhorse on her own if you, if you want her to be. And, and uh, we were fortunate to catch a little company, uh, and she went really well this morning. Give him about a five-link test start. She would kind of run up to him. I gave her a breather around the turn and headed for home. I let her turn over to her right lead, and about the eighth pole, I, I wanted to see if she was there. And boy, she set me back in the back in the seat. So, all systems are gold. 
How cool is it for you to ride her knowing you rode Songbird who battled Beholder? <laughs> I even rode her mother once. I was blessed enough to, to have ridden her mother once in one on her. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, it kind of means you've been around for a little bit, but it's pretty cool to see these these young ones come up and, and, and kind of, you know, she's... Look, she's got a big, long ways to prove before she even comes halfway close to her mother, but uh, she's certainly on the right track. How much are you looking forward to Breeders' Cup this year? Oh, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it, especially with, with getting the opportunity to ride a affiliate that's got the kind of talent she does. Uh, uh, all goes well, man. The sky's the limit for her. Great to hear from those connections of Philly with a very, very bright future indeed. Do want to remind you that racing at Santa Anita does continue this weekend and we will have the pumpkin patch and fall festival as well as the smorgasbord pizza party this Saturday. Who doesn't love horse racing, beer and pizza, guys? What about that filly, Tamara? She's pretty cool, isn't she? Uh, I'm excited about Tamara, but I'm more excited about the horse racing beer and pizza. That sounds tremendous. (laughs) So I might have to get on the red eye out to California. In other news this week, it was announced that Forte, last year's two-year-old champion and winner of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, has been retired and will now enter a stud career at Spencer Farm for a stud fee of $50,000. Absolutely surprised. No one, the horse had not had a workout since the Travers. They kept saying they were trying to make the Breeders' Cup. Nonetheless, he had a uh, some hoof problems Had um, and they simply ran out of time. Um, maybe if the Breeders' Cup were run three, four weeks later, they probably could have done it. So I want to hear from uh, you guys. You know, what do we make of this horse in his career? And um, he, he was a brilliant two-year-old, uh, no doubt about that. Um, he won the hopeful, which is uh, still up in the air because of the uh, drug positive that day uh, that um, the horse received. Breeders' Futurity, Breeders' Cup Juvenile, and looked like he was going to come into this year as, as a huge star. I'm not saying he had a bad year this year. I mean, you don't have a bad year when you win the Fountain of Youth, the Florida Derby, finish second in the Belmont, and win the Jim Dandy. But I guess the bar was set so high after last year that um, I was personally a little bit disappointed with him. I expected, uh, you know, better things from him. Now, a lot of it was that he had some bad luck. He was scratched the morning of the Kentucky Derby uh, with a hoof problem. Uh, trainer Mike, no, excuse me, owner Mike Rapoli and trainer Todd Pletcher were not at all pleased by that. Then the horse that he beat in the Florida Derby and found a youth mage went on to win the Kentucky Derby, which would make you think that, well, if he beat Mage in the two Florida races. Why wouldn't he have beaten him in the Kentucky Derby? But nonetheless, you know, a very good horse. I'm, I'm sure he'll be very well received at Spendthrift. But um, I guess the word is, is star-crossed. He, he had a star-crossed career, and I don't think his three-year-old campaign quite turned out like the connections would have hoped. Obvious from the start that he was never quite the same horse. I mean, he had a workman like Florida Derby. It looked like he went all out to to get that win. I didn't love him going into the Kentucky Derby purely off of that effort. And his feet have plagued him throughout the year. Todd Pletcher said that he grabbed a quarter in the Travers and that is what led to basically him being retired now because they haven't been able to get that right. So I think due to his foot issues, he's had problems the whole year. Because he's a champion, he was able to overcome them and he overcame them in the Jim Dandy. 
and he did win the Florida Derby and was second in the Belmont. So, I mean, he is a champion. He is an absolute champion. As a two-year-old, he was brilliant. I'm just not sure we saw the physical progression from him from two to three, but he had the heart of a champion, and he also was plagued with foot issues. I actually looked up his Breeders' Cup Juvenile, and I'm like, let's just see who exactly he beat that day. So he beat Cave Rock, multiple grade one winner. National Treasure came back to win the Preakness. Blazing Sevens was second in the Preakness and took down the grade one Champagne. Curly Jack took down the grade three Iroquois. Verifying, second in the Bluegrass, he won the Indiana Derby. Hurricane Jay's a stakes winner. Congruent is a stakes winner. Lost Art took down the Wet Jockey Club Derby. So, I mean, he's beat some good horses as a two-year-old and just proved his mettle by being able to win this year when I don't think he was probably 100% sound at any point this year. He was just plagued with problems. I'm actually really looking forward to seeing how he does at Stud. I, I don't think I ever gave the horse enough credit. Uh, when he beat Loggins in the Breeders' Futurity, I thought Loggins was the best horse. Uh, I was total bet against, I thought, with Forte in the Breeders' Futurity. I hated him going into the Kentucky Derby. Couldn't stand him going into the Belmont coming off that long layoff, you know. But you look back on it in hindsight, and you could certainly make the case that if he had run in the Kentucky Derby, he might have won. I mean, he's been three for three against Mage as far as finishing ahead of him. Uh, every chance, every opportunity he's been given. Uh, you know, he rallied to finish second in the Belmont uh, to Archangelo, despite the fact that he hadn't run in 10 weeks. The horse was clearly not a superstar horse. He was not a flashy horse. He was kind of a grinder, maybe even a bit of an overachiever, had problems. Uh, you know, but I think he was better, certainly, than I gave him credit for. And um, he should be pretty well received, I would guess, in the Stallion Park. Yeah, and at the bottom line, seven for 10, a lifetime uh, with all those six stakes wins. And once again, you know, the hopeful could be taken away from him um, the way our system works. Uh, that will probably be decided about 2034 uh, before we get a uh, ruling on that. Hey, uh, Zoe, I'm sure you were uh, paying close attention to the champion stakes over in uh, the UK over the weekend. And because this is now two weeks before the Breeders' Cup, we don't get a whole lot of horses that want to come back and run back in two weeks, but King of Steel won the champion stakes with Frankie Dettori aboard. They have pre-entered him in the uh, two Breeders' Cup races. They pre-entered him in the Classic and the Breeders' Cup turf. And uh, it would be very interesting to see what he does. Um, uh, trainer Roger Varian has not confirmed that he will actually run in the Breeders' Cup, but I'd love to see this horse run in the Breeders' Cup Classic. A mile and a half might be a little bit... Uh, Excuse me, a mile and a quarter would be right up his, his alley, whereas maybe the mile and a half in the turf would be a little bit long for him after he just won a mile and a quarter race. But how good is he? Does he belong in the Breeders' Cup? And if so, which race? He's a good horse. He's a good horse. He ran second in the derby. He's a massive horse. In fact, they monikered him the nickname the police horse when he was purchased. He's actually planning on coming back to America. He was purchased from the Keelan September sale from the Gainesway consignment. Alex Elliott bought him and took Kia down to look at him and said, this horse is just massive. So they gave him the time. Some people called him the police horse because he was so big and he has overcome everything. They said he might not like Epsom because it's a tight track. They said he wouldn't like the heavy ground in the champion stakes. He didn't like the heavy ground. He absolutely hated it. I was watching it because I was glued to champion's day because it was Frankie's 
supposedly last Champions Day, won the first race. This horse is out the back door for most of the race, absolutely climbing and jump, jumping imaginary objects. Like he just literally hated it. But he won down the middle of the course like a good horse that he is over ground that he didn't like. Will he like the tight track at Santa Anita? Probably not. He could probably overcome it. I don't know if he's going to come. They're going to leave it up to Roger Varian, who is a conservative trainer, to say the least. I like the fact they've entered him. But you don't know how much it takes out of a horse to run over ground like that. And it was so, so testing. So if he comes over here, that's great. But if he does, I'm almost positive that they will go in the turf. A mile and a half downhill is no problem here at Santa Anita. They start off coming down the hill. So if he's a mile and a quarter horse, that'll help him. So he was the recipient of a brilliant ride by Frankie Dettori. And wow, what about Frankie going out on a win like that? That was something to watch. I've never seen like a scene like that at Ascot ever. Randy, you know the football chants that they were singing? It was like being at Wembley Stadium wow. for the FA Cup. I mean, it was deafening. Did you hear it? Yeah, I wish we had been there for that. That would have been yeah. just an electric environment to be a part of. It's so loud that before the race, Frankie kept having to shush the fans for fear that he would that 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 the horse would be affected by it negatively. And then when he wins and the flying dismount, you know, I thought nobody believes that's going to be his final mount in England. I mean, come on, no. he, he he will yeah, ride. Yeah, yeah. I was I was going to say yeah. that he'll be there next year, maybe for a couple of years to come. He'll so. be there. He'll be when Royal Ascot rolls around next year. You know, Frankie yeah. will Frankie will be there. But as far as the horse at coming over here, I don't know Roger Varian. Um, he's he's had horses that ran very well in the Breeders' Cup. He's had two seconds and two thirds previously in Breeders' Cup competition. But every one of those horses had at least five weeks between their last race in Europe and the Breeders' Cup race. Reading between the lines, and again, I haven't talked to Roger Varian, I get the impression that he doesn't really want to come, but it's the owner, Kier Gerbachian. Uh, who's AMO racing, who's, uh, you know, very aggressive owner, uh, very high profile owner. He's a huge, uh, football, soccer, uh, sports agent over, over in Europe. Some of the, some of the biggest stars over there he represents. And at one point, uh, he lived in New York City. He's, uh, he's got a love for the United States. He's got a wing of AMO racing that runs in the United States and he would dearly love to run in the he's running the Breeders' Cup before he would dearly love to have this horse in the Breeders' Cup. So, but he's going to leave it up to the trainer. Uh, I would kind of be surprised if he runs. I hope he does, uh, and definitely he should run in the turf and not the classic. I went back and looked at this horse's pedigree. Three, the last two dams uh, are you have run sixty two times total. I think there's there's not even a speck. Of, of dirt form uh, in any of those horses. And I think it would just be another one of these cases where you throw them in the classic and they're beating, you know, 28 lengths, uh, but he would have a heck of a chance in the turf. The TD and Riders Room, as always, brought to you by the PHBA, the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association. A couple of stakes wins by Pennsylvania Breds last weekend at Aqueduct, 90% Matty won the Carl Place Stakes. 
uh, at Aqueduct and then also at Century Downs in Canada, a horse called Grated Coconut, bred by the Brunazzini Stables, broke his maiden in the Bird Catcher Stakes. So a couple of Pennsylvania breads with stakes wins last weekend. Also, this other note here is I'm reading Wanamaker's currently accepting entries for the third annual Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association PA bread sale that will take place in January. And again, our weekly reminder, don't forget the PA Sired PA Bread Stallion Series. The finale this year set for December 27th. Uh, the purse is now up to $200,000. Two-year-old Colts, two-year-old Phillies, both at a mile and 70 yards. Check the pabread.com website to double-check that your two-year-old is nominated. If not, you may want to shoot an email to the PHBA. That address is info at pabread.com. The PA Horse Breeders Association presents the Pennsylvania Stallion Series. Six races for PA sired, PA bred two-year-olds at parks. Two $100,000 contests at five and a half furlongs. On August 21st, PA Day at the Races. September 23rd, PA Derby Day has two races at six and a half furlongs, both with a $150,000 purse. And in December, two races going long, each worth $200,000. For more, go to pabread.com. The TD and Riders are brought to you by the Fast Sires of Windstar Farm, which, of course, the sponsor every week of our Fastest Horse of the Week segment. Let's talk about the sire first. This is right up my alley. The newest sire at Windstar, drumroll please, two fills. How many times have we talked about two fills in the past year? I still say Archangelo and two fills are the best three-year-olds that we have seen so far this year, but more about two fills. He was a graded stakes winner as a two-year-old, multiple graded stakes winner as a three-year-old. He won his four stakes by a combined 26 lengths. The first three-year-old of his crop with three straight 100 plus buyer speed figures, including 105s in both the Derby and the Ohio Derby. On the rags, he got a five and a half twice. That Kentucky Derby effort, he was the only horse who was up there on the pace who was around fighting through the stretch run, wound up finishing second to Mage. A lot to lie about two fills. The newest stallion at Windstar Farm. Now, the fastest horse of the week. If you were watching at Keeneland this past weekend, on Saturday, you saw the Lexus Raven Run Stakes, and that race was won by Vava after a spirited stretch run. Vava wins by a half length. Alva Star was in that race as the four to five favorite. Alva Star was coming off back-to-back -back buyers of 96 and 98, including an eight and three-quarter length win in the grade two prior stakes in New York. Alva Star turned into the stretch with a clear lead, but Vava ran her down with a 100 buyer speed figure, our fastest horse of the week. The TD and Riders Zoom brought to you by the Green Group, the sponsor, of course, of our Green Group Guest of the Week. They are a tax consulting and advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry and especially specializing in saving you money on your taxes. For more information, go to www.greenco.com. Welcome in now the Green Group Guest of the Week. and happens to be Michael Banahan, the director of Bloodstock for Godolphin. If you think Godolphin, you think Breeders' Cup, you think of a ton of success. They've won 16 Breeders' Cup races, including four last year. And Michael's been overseeing their small army ready to descend on Santa Anita. Uh, Michael, uh, first of all, let's just get a couple of uh, news and notes out of the way. How many horses did you pre-enter? 
And a couple that I wasn't quite sure which race uh, they might go in, uh, pretty mischievous. Uh, which one is she going in and which one is Maj going okay. in? Um, so really, we'd, we'd, uh, or for me, I would know more about her domestic horses than I will the European ones. But from what I gather, uh, Maj will go in the mile. Uh, I know she stretched out the last day in the Queen Elizabeth, but I think from what Saeed was saying, I think the mile would be, she'd be more comfortable going in the mile. So uh, we'll end up probably having two in there. I think Charlie is going to run master of the season there as well. So we'll be double fisted in there. Uh, looks like we'll have seven uh, American horses, hopefully to represent us. And I think four from uh, Europe will be coming over. It's a little bit smaller group from Europe than we had in the past. So, Michael, we'll be kind of skipping through some of your horses here while, while we've uh, while we fortunately got you. But one horse I want to start with is the horse that that probably is the best known of all the Godolphin horses, uh, Cody's Wish, for many reasons. Obviously, he's a fantastic racehorse, and then the whole Cody Dorman story as well. That's captured the attention of so many people outside of the inner circle. I'm just curious, what's it been like to be part of the inner circle at Godolphin through the whole Cody's Wish saga? Uh, look, it's been tremendous. It's uh, an unbelievable story. Uh, we're so fortunate to be a small part of it, really. Uh, we feel like the Dorman family, and they're such a wonderful family um, all along, uh, and they've been so gracious about being involved in the in, in the horse and uh, sort of going side by side with him. And um, it's it's just been so uplifting, I think, for lots of people that uh, have challenging issues and probably no more than we see with Cody Dorman himself. And he's such an inspiration for a lot of people um, that might be having tough days. And, you know, you go back and you look at some of the clips that NBC had last year at the Breeders' Cup and it'll make you feel like how fortunate you actually are. So, um, look, it's been an absolute wonderful journey and we're so happy that we're a little part in that as well. So, um, uh, and plus highlighting... What a fantastic racehorse Cody, Cody's wishes himself as well. So to have that combination of a great story, uh, uplifting story, and to have a fantastic uh, horse doing it as well has been, has been unbelievable. It is a superb story, Michael. And the fact that they actually met each other when he was still a foal, when he was still a yearling, is, is just to me one of the best stories I think that we've had in horse racing in a long time. Is there a chance that we see... Cody's wish, Cody the person, come out to Santa Anita, yeah, do you know? The, the plan is for uh, the whole Dorman family to come out to Santa Anita um, and be part of, hopefully, celebration. I think, you know, seeing him when he got beaten in the Whitney the last time, they were there up in Saratoga and they still embraced the whole experience of being there, uh, the goodwill behind them um, when... When they were based on, on the uh, at the restaurant in the front of of, of uh, Saratoga, there, uh, you know, when they were going out for the for the uh, to the paddock, people were uh, giving a round of applause and cheering them when they came back in as well. So just, I think it even goes further than than uh, you know racing itself, and it, it, it's it's uh, it's hit people outside the industry and just the general public, and um, I think people that haven't don't have any interest in racing or, or very marginal, have really cottoned on to this uh, great story as well. And um, But hopefully 
you know, they'll all make it out there and, and uh, they'll be there to cheer cheer Cody's wish on in uh, what will be his last race, hopefully. How's he doing? By all accounts, doing super. Uh, talked to Bill Mott this morning. Uh, he's extremely happy with him. Had a very good breeze on the weekend and couldn't be doing any better. Uh, sound happy and healthy. And uh, I think we got what we needed out of the Vosburgh and... Um, we're ready to roll in uh, in Santa Anita and hopefully we can uh, uh, duplicate what he did last year. Michael, I know you say that um, really your expertise and, and your area is the uh, U.S. Space Forces, but I, I'm sure you can speak for Godolphin in general. And more so than perhaps any stable in the world, Godolphin has embraced the Breeders' Cup like no other. Like I said, 16 Breeders' Cup wins uh, for uh, last year. Um, Other than the obvious, you know, the big purses and everything, but, you know, what is it about the Breeders' Cup that the Godolphin team has made it such a big part of its, uh, something that it targets so heavily every year? Championship racing. That's what we're trying to do. It's the biggest race day at the end of the year for us. And uh, if we can fortunate enough to get horses to compete at the Breeders' Cup. Uh, we know we're competing with the with the very best horses, across, not only in America, but across the world. And that's where we want to compete at the very top level. And uh, so I think the Breeders' Cup over the, over the, the last 25 years or so, um, we see that the, the best horses, we know by the Eclipse Award voting, that people pay attention to those races at the end of the year and the Breeders' Cup are, are the collection of all the best horses in America and uh, we got such a great foreign contingent that come over as well. Um, so I think that's, that, that is why it's important to us. But like Lots of races are important through the year, but it's the end of the year. It's the, it's the Super Bowl, the NBA playoffs. It's, uh, it's what it is in, in our sport uh, is to win the Breeders' Cup races or compete in them anyway. So, Michael, one thing that's always fascinated me is the uh, international battle for global thoroughbred domination between Godolphin and Coolmore. And I know it's a friendly rivalry, and now there's been a little crossover with, you know, uh, the Stallions uh, being embraced by each side and the other. Um, How much do you think the presence of Coolmore spurs on Godolphin and vice versa? Oh, I think it's the same with any uh, big athletic organizations, be it humans or horses. Um, the, the great basketball teams need their, need their big rivals. Uh, we see it in college football, basketball here. The in-state rivals are the big games. So anytime you're want to be a leader of whatever industry sport you're in uh, your nemesis are always going to be the ones that are going to drive you to hopefully higher higher bar set with them all the time to get uh, to get those big wins and uh, and I'm sure each organization we we drive each other on but it's uh, I don't think we just look at um, you know one one other opposition that's that's great out there. Uh, there's a great friendly rivalry, I think, between lots of people in the racing industry, and uh, um, we we depending on who's in the race, we're going to be uh, big competitors with whoever it might be, whether it's Coomore, Judmont, or or you know Rapoli Stable, or whoever they might be, you know. And um, uh, I think 
anyone that's in this industry, whether you're $2 better or you're competing in the Kentucky Derby, you're competitive and you want to win those big races. Talking of big races, you'll have one going forward in the classic by the name of Proxy, who will probably be flying under a lot of people's radars. Mike Stidham, a good friend of mine. I know you were on hand for his most recent work at Keeneland. Tell us about the work. I'm not sure it went to plan, but it looked like it actually couldn't have come out better. Yeah, some some of these things, you can script them, and uh, sometimes they work out for you, sometimes they don't. But uh, ended up getting in with some additional company. Uh, we had a two-year-old in there to give him a lead horse to, to work with, uh, which we were very happy to do. And it was uh, we thought we had it teed up nicely. And uh, suddenly we got some extra company, but it really, it actually worked out very well in the end. Um, and Proxy finished strong, uh, galloped out strong. Joel Rosario was very happy with him. Uh, Mike and Hillary were uh, very happy with him as well. So, you know, Proxy, he's not the best uh, workhorse in the world. He just does enough, uh, very untappet like. Uh, he's calm, cool, and collected. And, um, so, some of that's good some of it's maybe bad but he'll he'll keep a little bit for himself and he'll just do enough and great thing about having Joel Rosario in working him uh, all fall as well uh, he knows him very well he's ridden him in his last few races and uh, they have a good rapport with each other and Joel knows what he needs to get out of him as well and so hopefully that worked we were I was very happy with it and Hopefully the horse got a bit of confidence out of it and Joel got a bit of confidence in him. And as you say, we'd probably come under the radar, all those you know, three-year-old hot shots that are in there that look like the, the horses to beat. And uh, if we get a good run and he's very consistent, um, we'd like them hit the, the winning line in a couple more of those races, but he's been beaten you know, in photo finishes and two mile and a quarter races this year. We think the distance will suit him very well. Um, so yeah, we're... we're, we're um, we're, we're expecting a big run out of them. Let me let me jump in here with a follow-up real quick. Yeah, we've talked about Proxy a lot, Michael, over the last few months, and it seems like sometimes he takes that sort of I'll do just enough to get by attitude a little too far. Like during the running of his during the running of his races as well. He's 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 been kind of an enigmatic at times, right? I know he's been frustrating to Mike Stidham at times. Got the cheek pieces now. Where is he mentally right now, you think, going into the class? Oh, look, he seems very good. Um, uh, you know, seeing him, you know, multiple times down at Keeneland uh, over the last month. Um, he, you know, was good going to the going to the pole the other day. Uh, looked like he was really wanting to do a little bit. Um, he's a happy horse. He's a great attitude about him. So I'd say mentally he's good. Um just everything has to go for him, you know. And if he's if he's on song, and he always seems like he wants to give the competition a little bit of a leg up. We've seen that even from his three-year-old days down at the fairgrounds. And, you know, horses like Mandaloon and Midnight Bourbon, whoever down there, uh, he'd be in the race and then he'd drop back a little bit and you'd say, okay, well, he's gone. And then he'd come with this furious rally down the stretch and just miss out and say, okay, um, we're going to have something the next day. And he, and he, and it took him a while to mature and, and try to figure that out. But we saw him in Oakland this year was a good example of him being on song and, and, and really going well and tracking well. And then, you know, getting a bit of pace in a race suits him very well. And again, I think Joel Rosario is important. Uh, 
he understands that he maybe want to, um, you know, he's like he's like the the teenage boy in 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 middle school that wants to look out the window halfway through class and he's not paying attention and then the teacher calls on him. Uh, so I think Joel knows what he's like and can hopefully keep him engaged in the race and he's very very consistent. Uh, he's you know he's he's only been out of money a couple of times in his races and uh, I think he'll be running running down hard in the stretch whether you know he can get there or not but hopefully having a little bit of pace in the race and staying engaged in there we're we're expecting a big run from him and uh, you know and in the, the Santa Anita handicap he ran very well out and out there and it was our testing grounds to see how he'd like to handle the track and like the track and it seemed like that went well uh, we would have loved to have come away with a with, with that grade one win but just didn't quite get there in time so hopefully he'll make up for it uh, in uh, Saturday week Michael, I apologize for asking you still another question about the foreign horses, but uh, it, it's such an, uh, a great group, and, and I'm sure you'd have an opinion on this. Charlie Appleby, since 2021 in North America, 56 starters, 24 winners, 43%, 23 stakes winners, 15 grade ones. How does he do it? The, the uh, Part of the answer, obviously, is he has very good horses, but it seems to be something more than that, that he has figured out exactly the right horse to bring in and exactly for what race what is beyond the obvious like i said that you know the kind of horse flesh that he's dealing with uh is is the answer for just you know these numbers that just pop off the page well charlie is a excellent trainer and a very good horseman and through his time with godolphin uh, and he's been with godolphin a long time before he took uh, the mantle as as the uh, head trainer and would have travelled all around the world and would have seen firsthand the type of horse you need to bring to different destinations, whether it's America, Australia, continental Europe, or wherever it might be, or Dubai itself. He understands that very well, understands what his horse is like and which ones will perform well in a pace in a race in America and on a flat track as well. And um, he has, and again, as you said, he they are good horses as well, but sometimes they look like they're elevated a little bit when they get to America in that pattern of a race and the style of a race. And he's just identified those horses and obviously he's got plenty of them, but he's identified the right horses and you don't really see him just throwing horses in a race and hoping that, you know, some of it will stick a little bit. He, he really deep dives into which horses he thinks are the appropriate horses to bring out to America that will be competitive. And um, and like uh, like a lot of people, Charlie is competitive, likes to win those, those races and doesn't feel like it's necessary just to fill races for someone else. And uh, the ones he brings out, as you said, they're very, very competitive. And uh, But he's figured that out. And I think just the experience he's, he's had over over the years really coming to fruit now. And maybe he was able to see all that when he wasn't in the high-pressure situation where he was the, the head trainer. And I think just garnering, garnering all that experience and information um, has led him to make really, really good decisions on which horses fit in the top races and especially the ones we've seen him in America and, and his record uh, has been so stellar over the last couple of years from 
you know, Saratoga to the Breeders' Cup or coming here to Keeneland or, or wherever it might be in Canada as well. And um, uh, so, yeah, so I think he'll, he's figured out who he needs to bring for the Breeders' Cup. And uh, um, I'm sure um, uh, Master of the Season will, will be, will be, you know, his, his run at Keeneland. It'll give him a big chance in, in, in the mile. You mentioned the uh, uh, the tough three-year-olds that you'll be going up against with Proxy in the Breeders' Cup Classic. In the distaff, uh, you got a couple of really tough older fillies and mares to have to deal with there with Idiomatic and Clarier. Uh, how do you think uh, Pretty Mischievous and Wet Paint, the three-year-olds that you've got in there, stack up against the older uh, the older fillies and mares? Well, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, this is probably one of the early clashes of of the of the generations and we, we, we don't really know. Uh I know we did see a three year old uh winning up in New York in the Bell Dam. Uh, so that gives the three year olds a bit of clout. Um we're ver- we're very happy uh Brad Cox and, and Brendan Walsh are extremely happy with the way those two fillies are coming into the into the distaff. Um they've been they've been resolute all year long, ultra consistent and uh, you know, wet paint. I think she's tr- uh, thrived from getting that little bit of a break since uh, the Alabama coming in. She had a great workout last weekend. Um, looks super on the gallop out. She's another one that I think will uh, enjoy a bit of pace in the race. It looks like idiomatic will have you know want to be out there jumping on the lead. Looks like. Bob Baffert's filly will be have a bit of pace in there as well. So I think it'll suit her. Um, she's been consistent all year long since she's been down in Oaklawn in the wintertime. Uh, pretty mischievous. Um, you know, she's hard-knocking, uh, consistent filly. Looks like she's getting better as the year goes on. Um, we're just, you know, we're hoping and expecting a nice dry track out there. Uh, it seemed like you know, Tyler had said that she didn't appreciate the track in, uh, at Parks that time. Um, and I think, uh, uh, you know, Brendan has been very happy with her breezes last weekend. She had another very, very good work. Uh, so we're, we're coming in there um, with two fillies that are doing as well as they can. And then we're all going to see which generation is the, is the, is the better group. But we, we couldn't be more, we couldn't be happier with our two fillies coming in there and nice having two different styles pretty mischievous will just be stalking just off there wet paint will probably be coming from uh, the back of the pack a little bit uh, so it gives us uh, uh, you know two shots that are complementary to each other Michael how do you decide at the beginning of a horse's two-year-old year where they're going to go like how do you decide that pretty mischievous is going to go to Brendan Walsh and wet point Wet Paint is going to go to Brad Cox and Proxy is going to go to Michael Stidham. How do you come up with, do you draw names out of a hand? All right, you go there, you go there, you go there. How does it work? Yeah, well, we sort of at least try to do somewhat strategically. And depending on what we've seen pre-training, we've got some great um, operations, both in Florida and Kentucky, that uh, pre-train for us. And we see them multiple times through the through the spring down there. And we sort of determine which ones will suit which trainer. But really, it'll come down to families. And if Brad has 
a particular horse that he has trained siblings before, the same with Bill Mott or, or Mike or whoever it might be. I think it's very important uh, to keep those families with those trainers that have had success with them. Uh, they know their idiosyncrasies a little bit about them as well. And I think that's worked out well. Uh, we try to balance it up as much as we can. Um, you know, in the Breeders' Cup, whether they, all the horses get in or not, the five trainers we use in North America look like they'll all have an entry in there, which is fantastic. And it's nice to have that balance between them all. And it's not one trainer maybe getting them all. But we've been we've been lucky with that. But we certainly like uh, like them to be spread out between them all and give everyone a fair chance. And depending on what circuit they need to be on as well and where they're going to be able to develop them well. So it's uh, we've been lucky the last couple of years. That's worked out really well for us. Michael, you're a big fan of national hunt racing over in England and Ireland. Randy goes to Cheltenham. Give us one horse to follow. I know you have a top 10. I was talking to Hillary earlier. Well, Constitution. Yeah, I, I was going to say the exact thing. But I'll give you a different one, Randy. Uh, El Fabiolo. Uh, try him instead. El Fabiolo. Yeah. Who oh. trains him? Uh, Willie Mullins. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, my, my, Mike, Mike Stidham is a big fan of, of uh, as as he might have told you. So he, not that he's he's a great national hunt guy, but he's a massive fan of Willie Mullins and his uh, what he's done over the course of the last twenty years. He's uh, Charlie Whittingham, Woody Stevens, and everyone else wrapped into one in the jump racing. Is it hyperbole to say that Constitution Hill is the flight line of jump racing? He's a hurdler. Okay, hurdle race. I don't even know the difference between. (laughs) If they jump over an obstacle, Zoe, I consider that jump racing. I don't know what the difference is. Hurdles are the little ones, the steeplechase are the big ones. Exactly. So um, I would would think that they would probably think that uh, the flight line is a Constitution Hill rather than the other way around uh, from what I've read. (laughs) But uh, yeah, look, he looks like a superstar horse. And... um, uh, but in all honesty, uh, I'm all in flat mode. Um, breeders cut. That's sure. that's that's where I, w- I wouldn't even think. I mightn't even get my ten to follow list done because uh, it'll be so far down the list. Yeah, who else is in flat mode? Bill Finley. There you go. All right. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us as the Green Group guest of the week. Once again, Godolphin is going to bring a just army of talented horses into this year's Breeders' Cup. 16 Breeders' Cup wins for the Godolphin Stable going back to uh, the inception. Michael, thanks so much for your time. Best of luck. Uh, we've got about a week and a half till the big day. And I'm sure those Godolphin blue silks will be finding the winner's circle quite often. Thanks for joining Thanks very much, Bill. Appreciate it. Thanks, Zoe. Thanks, Randy. As this week's Green Group guest of the week, Godolphin's Michael Banahan will receive a free one-hour text consultation from Lynn Green and company at the Green Group. And for more information, again, on how the Green Group can save you money on your taxes, especially if you're in the horse business, again, www.greenco.com. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport, like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonder Wheel. 
His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. The Factor, a perennial leading sire of winners. He was third in the nation by winners in 2021 and 2022. His progeny include grade one winners, Cistron, and noted and quoted, grade two winner, Charmaine's Mia, and millionaires bound for nowhere. And Factor this, with dozens of six-figure yearling sales, he's a proven sire on the track and in the sales ring. The Factor, standing at lane's end. The Lanes End Stallion of the Week is The Factor. Now, we just heard Randy giving it all about the PA breads. The Factor was the sire of a two-year-old stakes winner this week when the PA bread grated coconut took the bird catcher stakes in Canada, breaking his maiden in the black type event by 12 lengths. Over 12 lengths, in fact. That moves The Factor into a tie for second place on the list of stallions, by two-year-old black type winners in 23, behind the one and only Justify. The Factor has 15 individual two-year-old winners. He's a must-breed. The Factor, a leading sire of Warfront standing at Lane's End for the bargain price of $10,000. And Bill, where was that race in Canada run? <laughs> Century Downs. Century Downs. There you go. Well, an interesting race on Saturday at Santa Anita, uh, the ninth race on the card, a maiden special weight race and looked loaded on paper. Bob Baffert had three horses entered in the race. And here were his jockeys, Ramon Vasquez, Mike Smith and Kyle Fry. Now, you would look at the jockey choices and figure that maybe in Baffert's estimation, the Fry horse was not necessarily the best of the bunch because he was the lowest profile jockey among the three that he named. The horse is by the name of Nysos. And not only did he win, he went out and won by 10 and a half lengths, paid $14.80. Now, if you had done any homework like I did, didn't mean I was smart enough to bet on this horse. Baffert has used Fry exactly one other time during his entire career and that horse won and paid $28.60. So that's that sneaky jockey trainer combination. And I didn't realize until later after uh, Steve Anderson wrote a story in the Daily Racing Forum about Kyle Fry that he uh, took about two months off this summer, right uh, in the beginning of the Del Mar meet, uh, because he was mentally exhausted. I mean, mental health issues are something that people are, are much uh, more willing to talk about uh, in this day and age. And uh, I guess he needed to just press the reset button. No better way to press the reset button than to come back and win on a Bob Baffert TDN Rising Star by Nyquist to win by 10 and a half lengths. Um, will he keep them out? Well, that remains to be seen, but no reason to take him off right now. He's perfect for Bob Baffert. Nobody else can say that, Zoe. No, and it's Kyle Frey. Um, yeah. Good kid, really, really good kid. He's funny. He's a good rider. You give him the horse, he can do it. And he proved it the week before on Winstock, who'd had two sprint races to his credit. It was first time stretching out. Bob's only instructions were just go to the lead. 
just go fast and keep going. And that is exactly what he did. This horse, if you'd watched his replays, cannot stand dirt in his face. Cannot stand. Jumps up and down. Just hates it. So Kyle just sent him to the lead and he drew off and won like a good thing. Part of the reason he got them out, there's a girl at Santa Anita who comes to Clocker's Corner. Her name is Kelly Gredvig. She's, she's, you know, she's 12 years old at heart and she bugs Bob every time she sees him and is like, hey, Bob. And she's in love with Kyle. Kyle's a great guy. And she's like, mm -hmm. hey, Bob, you got to put Kyle on a horse. What's wrong with Kyle? And she's bugged him and bugged him and bugged him. So the credit goes to Kelly Gredvig for getting Kyle <laughs> on the first horse. So then we told Kyle, you got to pay Kelly. Kelly's at the races every single time we have race. She comes out with her dad. She's got shares in my race horse and she's super passionate about the game. So she got that one. She kept bugging Bob. And Bob's like, I'll put him on another one. And, and there you have it. Nysos was ready to run this summer at Del Mar. Things didn't go his way for whatever reason. He never made the races. He was missed a couple of works. and But he's been ready for quite some time. And in speaking to Jimmy, he was like, he was flying under the radar, but he's a pretty good horse. So I think Bob was surprised when they were going down the backside. I was watching and I'm like, oh, Kyle, don't do it. Don't go head and head with Bob's other horse. He'll never put you on a horse again. But he, he kept his horse way off the other one, and they went fast. And fortunately, he won. Bob can't take him off because he won by 10 and drew off. He's not an overly big son of Nyquist. I actually swung by the barn because I was more enamored by Bob's other two in the running of the race. I had a good look at them in the paddock and was just ignoring Nysos. And uh, he looks really good. He bounced out of the race, 96 by a speed figure. It's a good story. And Cal Frey is a good Good kid and a good rider. It's great to have somebody like Zoe in Southern California who's keyed in to all those little details. <laughs> and, and by the way, it was Glenn Fry and not Glenn Frey with the Eagles, but who, who knew there was, was Kyle Frey? Um, oh, I, you know what I think is interesting about this is there are a lot of gamblers out there, a lot of horse players who think that these horse trainers know everything about right. their horses, even unstarted two-year-olds. And they're probably thinking, oh, Baffert bet on this horse or the people associated with Bob bet on this horse at six to one. They knew this horse was going to run that good. They put Glenn or no, not Glenn, Kyle <laughs> Frey on him to get a price. That's what they were doing. Of course, nothing could be further from the truth. If they if 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 Baffert knew that this horse was capable of running a 96 buyer speed figure and beating his other two by 10 and three quarters lengths. I promise you the horse would not have been six to one on the board. Bob knows too many people in Southern California. Uh, but, oh, the horse is, it looks uh, very, very promising. And, uh, you know, just another example of, of how loaded uh, the Baffert barn is, not this year, but every year with these young prospects. And Juan Hernandez was serving a suspension over the weekend. Might the jockey situation have been different? If he were available, well, we'll find out uh, down the road. But yeah, let's hope Bob uh, keeps young Mr. Frey on the horse uh, because he certainly deserves that opportunity. All right, Zoe, you've been our eyes and ears at Santa Anita working for XBTV. You've been out in the mornings. We're hearing great things about Arabian Night. There's news about White Aberio. Give us your Zoe Cadden's up close and personal <laughs> workout report for what you've seen so far with the Breeders' Cup horses. Well, we'll lead off with Arabian Night. He was absolutely sensational yesterday morning. 
zipping in one eleven and two. Now he worked on his own, which is unusual for Bob. He likes to work his horses in company, and the fact he worked that easy, he's got such a lovely, big, fluid stride. He just cruised around there and galloped out in one twenty four and change. He has been the work of the day, and I was joking with Bob because he worked him seven eights because the day before, Tamara worked seven eights and I was talking to Bob about it. I'm like, did, did you see Tamara work? He's like, oh my God. He goes, that Dick Mandela, he's got balls. He's like, <laughs> I couldn't do that to a two-year-old filly. He goes, he's old school. And it, I joked about it with Bob and Richard. I'm like, hey, hey, Bob, tell Richard what you said. So so he told him and uh, she was terrific. She, she caught some company and absolutely blew the doors off the company and if you're, she's got to be a single on anybody's ticket. Tamara was brilliant working the other day with Mike Smith. Arabian Night was good. Clarière maybe flying under the radar for trainer Steve Asmussen. She worked in 59 and four. Just after the rush, she didn't get a perfectly clean trip. She has to be on your radar. Prince Monaco worked out the gate because Bob said he's lazy. He worked in 112 out the gate. Speedboat Beach. He worked out the gate on his own in 111, and he'll go forward in the sprint. He looked terrific. So there's an awful lot of horses. I know one that you'll be interested in, Bill, the chosen Vron, who's going to be off everybody's radar, the little cowbred. He worked on the training track 101 and change. He's filled out. He's grown up. If there's any horse you're going to get a price on in the Breeders' Cup, it will be the chosen Vron, and he is not to be ignored. He's looked terrific. Mm -hmm. Um, so what's the White Barrio story? White Barrio uh, actually went out and trained this morning. He was on everyone's radar to see him work yesterday. He did not come out. He's had sore feet, basically. It was documented the last time he missed the work that the renowned farrier Ian McKinley came out and took a good look at him. A apparently, everyone's saying it's his feet, so they're going to try and maybe see if they can get him to work on Wednesday. He's been training. He really hasn't missed anything. And everyone is certain it's his feet. So I think they're just going to take it on a day by day. I went by and saw him. Chip Dutro's there. Rick Dutro flew in. He's there. And he was simply saying, well, we're just going to wait and see. So right now, it's a day by day prognosis. He did train this morning and he looked very good. And honestly, missing a few days, that's, that's not going to throw me off of him. But right now, if I'm looking at these horses, the one that's jumping off the page of the classic has, has to be Arabian Night. Has to be. What about you, Randy? Um, you know, it, what, my problem with Arabian Night is just the presence of Saudi Crown in there and what that's going to do to the pace scenario, just handicapping the race of the, uh, of the Breeders' Cup Classic. But what I find interesting about it, I may have told the story before on the podcast, but going back four months ago or so, three, four months ago, it was before the Haskell. It was certainly, you know, before the Pacific Classic. I'm voting in this weekly Breeders' Cup Classic poll, and I'm looking at Taba. Right, who was second in the Breeders' Cup Classic last year at Flightline. 
And I don't, you know, he hasn't trained in a while and Bob's got defunded and Bob's got, you know, several of these are national treasure. So I did text Bob and I say, hey, what's going on with Taba? You know, I'm doing this classic poll and I don't know whether to put him, you know, is, is he even a candidate at this point to run in the Breeders' Cup Classic? And he said, well, I don't know. You know the answer was no, but he didn't tell me no. But he said, don't leave Arabian Night out of your poll. And I was like, really? And we well, hadn't run since, you know, months. And he thought Arabian Nights should be in my top three classic contenders. Now, this is even before the Haskell. So, you know, I mean, Arabian Night has been uh, front and center in, uh, in Bob's mind as far as a Breeders' Cup classic contender for a long time. And I think now we're seeing why. Who writes him? I mean, Pratt won the Pacific Classic on him. Would, would he write him? Or- question, Zoe. I Never mean, I don't know. Asked. <laughs> Jockey question. <laughs> yeah, the the answer to that for me is I don't care. I don't care who writes it because I know it's going to be a top jockey. And the difference between top jockey A and top jockey D to me is uh, is you know less than negligible. So I don't really care who writes it. But okay. I know a lot of people do, including you, Zoe. And I I don't know. All right. Sorry. That's okay. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by XB TV. This week's XB TV Work of the Week, we've talked about her a lot already, is Tamara. She breezed six furlongs in 112 and three and galloped out in 124 and three under Hall of Famer Mike Smith. And if you just watch her, she caught some company with an unraised two year old cult of Mark Glatz. And it really helped her along. And Mike Smith was absolutely delighted by the work. She's not an overly big filly, but she dropped down about the eighth pole and she took off. That is about as good as you are going to see any horse, let alone a two-year-old filly, work over this track at Santa Anita. She will be an absolute force to be reckoned with. And we'll be right back after this message from XBTV. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. And finally, one more bit of housekeeping, very important bit of housekeeping. The TD and Riders Room is also brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. We mentioned the fastest horse of the week, Vava, and her win Saturday in the Lexus Raven Run Stakes at Keeneland. That's West Point Thoroughbreds. West Point also had a feature race win Friday at Keeneland with a horse called Brigadier General. And looking forward, Giants game entered in the Fayette Stakes at Keeneland. This next weekend, and of course on Breeders' Cup weekend, Carson's Run. We've talked about what a fabulous story Carson's Run is, very similar to Cody's Wish. He is pre-entered in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, and Slider is one of about 58 horses pre-entered for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. Those, again, are both West Point. And then there is this. Guys, do you know where joining a West Point Thoroughbred Partnership can vault you? Into the winner's circle. Into the winner's circle. Into and into the world of instant camaraderie. Camaraderie, yes. Camaraderie. To learn more about that, visit westpointtb.com.
right. Well, that's a wrap on another show. I want to thank my partners, Randy Moss and Zoe Cabin, our Green Group guest of the week, Michael Banahan from Godolphin, our editors, our co-editors, Katie Petruniak, excuse me, I'm demoting Katie by accident, our co-producer, Katie Petruniak and Anthony LaRocca, and our editors, Aaliyah LaRocca and Nathan Wilkinson. Getting close to the Breeders' Cup. It's getting exciting. Next week, we'll give you some handicapping opinions on the Breeders' Cup. For all the team here at the TDN Writers Room Broadcast Podcast, thanks for joining us. See you next week.